Welcome to the Abide Podcast, where our goal is helping others delight in Christ for the sake of becoming more like Christ with the hope of multiplying disciples of Christ. Well, hello, friends. Welcome back to the Abide Podcast, episode number four. I am joined with college pastor Chris Cummings today. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, glad to be here. And I know you were on the first one, mm-hmm. and so you've already answered my question of what is your favorite smell. That's right. But refresh our memory anyway. By far, the my favorite smell is just like a good cooked like steak or like fajitas. So... Um, when, when you hear the sizzle, you smell the sizzle and that is, that's the best. I love it. That's such a man answer. It really is. I mean, like I I was trying to think of like what all my favorite smells were and they all had to do with food. So, (laughs) I mean, that's not the worst thing. No, I mean, yeah. I mean, at least I'm not like loving my pillow, you know? Hey, don't (laughs) knock the pillow. We all have them. (laughs) That's true. Everyone should have a pillow. (laughs) I hope you have a pillow. (laughs) Whether your pillow has a deep scent to your liking, I don't know. You know what? Tonight, I'm going to smell my pillow. (laughs) I'm like, what does this smell like? And if it doesn't smell like sizzling fajitas, (laughs) I'm getting a new pillow. (laughs) I'm going to go and hide fajitas under your pillow today. (laughs) That would be amazing. Then I would be like, awesome. There are fajitas here. I'm excited about our conversation today. I think this topic is something that you are really passionate about. And so to kind of recap what we talked about last week with Emma was this concept of sanctification, what it means to become more like Christ. And as we become more like Christ, as the spirit works within us, it naturally leads to the process of making disciples, which Mm -hmm. can be summed up in the word multiplication. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to go ahead and dive in and ask, why should the average Christian be concerned with making disciples? Yeah, great question. The right off the bat, I think, is just because the Bible tells us to, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus's mm-hmm. last words to his disciples were, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Mm-hmm. And so it is a, um, it is in obedience that Christians make disciples. Mm-hmm. Um, and even I would argue um, that the Bible puts such an emphasis on this being a natural overflow of a disciple mm-hmm. That I would even argue, uh, just to the point of just like, I think proof of your faith and Mm -hmm. of authentic Christianity in someone's life is just what it produces, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so when we see people who are making disciples or or at least have a desire to make disciples, I think that's an evidence of, yes, Jesus is alive in that person because it it shapes our desires. Mm -hmm. It changes our desires. Um, You know, we talked about week one of this podcast of just how we talk about what we love, Mm -hmm. you know? And so um, when you meet people who never talk about Jesus, (laughs) it it makes you wonder, do they love Jesus, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I think it's really twofold. One, it's an obedience thing. God calls us to go make disciples, not just the professional Christians, but literally every Christian is called to go make disciples. Mm -hmm. But then two, I think it's a love issue as well Mm -hmm. to where it's an overflow of our love for other people Mm -hmm. that leads us 
uh, and our overflow of a love for God that leads us to other people to tell other people about him. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's really those two sides of the coin as to, to answer the question why one side would be obedience. Mm-hmm. But then the flip side of that would be, it's actually evidence of a heart that genuinely loves Jesus yeah. because we talk about what we love. Right. So, right. I mean, it reminds me of in John when it says that in this, you will know, or people will know that you are my disciple, yeah. that you love one another. Yeah. And it also says another time in, I, I think, John 15, that it says um, that bearing fruit proves that you are my disciple. Yeah. And so one of the aspects of bearing fruit is making disciples. Yeah. And really, like, for us, if, if we ever question, like, man, do I really have faith in Jesus? We should look back on our lives and say, what are my desires like? Mm-hmm. Because Christ, our f- relationship with Christ changes our desires. Mm-hmm. Um, just like, I'll give you this example, too. Like, um before I got married to Kristen, I did not have a desire to foster. That wasn't really um, a desire of mine. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew about the foster care system. I knew it was like a big deal. Um, I knew people that did it. My parents actually fostered a child before my brother and I were born. But in my heart, like it wasn't really a strong desire. I always Mm -hmm. thought I would have my own bio kids. And then I met Kristen and she began to unpack just her heart for foster care. And it changed me and now mm. we have four foster care kids <laughs> in our house and people keep asking us if we're ever gonna have bio kids and i'm like probably not <laughs> we already got four <laughs> <laughs> we might we might just have foster kids for the rest of our life you yeah. know we don't know what like really the future holds but um my love f- for Kristen uh, really shaped my desire for foster care in a way like that and mm-hmm. the same in a same similar sense uh, when we love jesus our love for other things Mm -hmm. gets shaped by our love for Christ. It is Mm -hmm. the dominant love that shapes all of the other loves. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we should naturally begin to, to love what he loves and hates what he hates as we begin to follow him more, Mm -hmm. you know, and that takes time, right? Right. Sanctification. Like we we don't immediately become like that. It's a lifetime process, all that kind of stuff for sure. But like we should see evidence of that shift. And so when it comes to making disciples, one, it's an obedience thing. Uh, but then, too, it's evidence that we do love Jesus. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. why I would say everyone should make disciples. Yeah, for sure. So you said that making disciples is a job for every Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do we practically do that in our own lives? Yeah, a great question. And and really, this is this is not an easy answer, yeah. you know, because at least in America, we don't see a lot of personal disciple making. Mm-hmm. What we see a lot in America is more so programmatic disciple making. Mm -hmm. And so when we think of making disciples, our natural bent and response to that is I need to volunteer with a ministry or an organization. Mm -hmm. And my volunteer efforts then helps that organization as a whole make disciples. And therefore, I play a supporting role Mm -hmm. in making disciples. And so... um, as true as that is, that is still a way that we make disciples. Mm-hmm. There still is this personal responsibility to go make disciples, mm-hmm. you know, because God doesn't only call the professional Christians to make disciples. He calls everyone to make, mm-hmm. make disciples. Like we see that in the Great Commission. Right. Jesus says, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then he ends with this last little line. He says, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Mm. One of the commands 
that God has given us is the Great Commission. Mm -hmm. And so what Jesus is saying just within the Great Commission is he's giving us this concept of multiplication right from the command itself. Right. He's saying the way you make disciples is by teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And one of the things that Jesus has commanded his disciples to do was to make disciples. Mm -hmm. And so what we see is that even in the Great Commission itself, the concept of multiplication is true. That command isn't just given to the professional (laughs) disciples or the professional apostles. It's given to them and more people in that moment, but also it's given to the people that they disciple and that they disciple and that they disciple down Mm -hmm. the road. And so over the course of time, we've kind of fallen into this trap where we see discipleship as a programmatic thing that I volunteer for Mm -hmm. and not something that I take personal ownership of. And that I think is what the church largely needs to get back to. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean we should cancel our programs by Mm -hmm. any means, like keep those things going. Those things are good, all that kind of stuff. But we do need to urgently get back to a place where people are taking personal ownership of what it means to make disciples who make disciples. Mm -hmm. And so practically what that can look like, um, the first thing that comes to my mind is to start what we call a 242, yeah. right? And a, a 242 is uh, essentially a Bible study that multiplies. Mm-hmm. That's how I like to see it. It's, a, it's not just a Bible study. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a Bible study that multiplies, right? And we get this concept of 242 from uh, Acts 242, mm-hmm. uh, where it says that uh, after the Holy Spirit came and the church was filled with the Holy Spirit, they dedicated themselves to three primary things, right? They dedicated themselves uh, to each other in fellowship. They dedicated themselves to prayer. Uh, and they also dedicated themselves um, to the word of God. It says mm-hmm. the apostles teaching, which is what we now know as the New Testament. And so mm-hmm. they dedicated themselves to those three things. And so that's what we have created uh, in these 242 environments is that you're dedicated to each other, prayer and fellowship. But Acts 242 doesn't end. The, uh, it's not, that's not the last verse in Acts chapter 2. Right. The last verse in Acts chapter 2 is Acts 247. <laughs> Let us not forget about that one, mm-hmm. right? Where it says, and God added to their, mul- to their numbers daily. God yep. started to multiply their people throughout Jerusalem where mm-hmm. they were in that moment, right? Acts, you don't have an Acts 247 without an Acts 242. Acts 242 creates a chain of events that leads to Acts 2.43 through Acts 2.47. And so what we see is like these early believers dedicated themselves into these small little discipleship huddles. Mm -hmm. And from that expansion just went. Mm. And so uh, when we talk about disciple making on a practical level, this is what we talk about. We Mm -hmm. talk about gathering with a handful of people, like a very small number of people two to three other people Mm -hmm. and saying, we're going to dedicate ourselves to each other, the word and prayer. And our hope is that at some point we commission those people out to start new Mm -hmm. 242s that do the same thing. Right. And for us, we really, we try to keep that, um, Mm -hmm. those 242 groups really small intentionally. Um, One of the reasons why is because when we look at Jesus, who is really the perfect disciple maker, Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus, what he does is he invests in a few to go reach the many. Mm. Uh, Robert Coleman in his book, Master Plan of Evangelism, talks about how everything done with the few is always meant for the benefit of the many. Mm-hmm. Um, and so God doesn't, Jesus doesn't play favoritism mm-hmm. with certain people. He leverages certain people so that multiplication can occur. He knows that if he were to give everyone in the crowd 
each individual attention that he would have made zero disciples. And so what he does is he (laughs) focuses in on a handful Mm -hmm. and says, I'm going to make disciples out of these Mm -hmm. so that they can make disciples out of more and more and more and more. And in Acts 1-8, what we see is that as Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, he gives this uh, not really a command. He really gives more of this prophecy about what's going to happen, mm-hmm. right? And in Acts 1.8, he says, you will be, right? It's not so much a command. It's more of like, this is going to happen. Like, I'm mm-hmm. just giving you an, an FYI. Mm-hmm. He says, you will be my disciples, um, my witnesses uh, throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And by the end of Acts, that's what mm-hmm. we see. Yeah. It's kind of counterintuitive when you think about it. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm going to invest in a few people, to reach the many. It's right. Like, well, how do you reach the many if you're only investing in the few? Right. That's backwards from what we think, <laughs> yeah. right? We think that, oh, I need to reach the many. I'm going to host a conference and it's going to gather 50,100 mm-hmm. people, right? Right. It's just like this massive, that's not even a real number that I just <laughs> threw out there, but like it's just going to be this massive thing because we have to reach the masses. And mm-hmm. what you see in the Gospels is that does Jesus care about the masses? Yes. yes. He takes time to feed the masses. Mm-hmm. He feeds the 5,000 and the 4,000. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of people. It is. Right. He f- he takes time for the masses. Mm-hmm. But the Gospels, we see a lot more of Jesus spending time with his disciples mm-hmm. than we see him preaching to the masses and doing things for the masses. Mm-hmm. He just invests a lot of his time in a few people. But mm-hmm. those few people helped start the early church. And we are Christians today because of what they did 2000 right. years ago. Right. And so. We have to start adapting a Mm -hmm. similar model. You want to reach the masses? That's amazing. So do I. Mm -hmm. I want the masses to be reached. Mm -hmm. But ironically, and as weird as it sounds, the way we do that isn't by just trying to put on the next big thing. The way we do that is by going very small and very intimate so that we can make disciples out of a few who can make disciples out of more and more and more and more Mm -hmm. people. It's really interesting. We uh, did a study with our college ministry um, earlier this summer, and we asked the question, how long would it take for a, 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 a growing church uh, that's growing by addition to reach the entire greater Houston region? And uh, what, we, what we looked at in that study was the Houston region right now is of about 7 million people. So the greater Houston region, 7 million people as of 2020. In 2019, it was growing at a rate of 92,000 that year, okay? So it's growing at 90,000 a year. If you break that down by week, that's 1,700 people a week. So to be a mega church in America, Mm -hmm. you have to have at least 2,000 people, Mm -hmm. okay? So to put this in perspective, (laughs) the greater Houston region is growing by a population of roughly a mega church a week, a week. That's a lot of people. That is a lot of people. And so we asked ourselves, what if a church that already had 5,000 people grew by two to 3,000 people a week? Okay, so I don't know of any church that has grown by (laughs) 2,000 in a week. Okay, but we're going to play hypothetical. What if a church of 5,000 in the greater Houston region grew by two to 3,000 every single week? How long would it take for them to reach the greater Houston region as it as that region continued to grow in population as well. And the answer was roughly 580 years. <laughs> it was just this insane number. Uh, That's uh, longer than the years the Israelites spend each Yeah, year. it's forever. And like, 
But like also like what's even more ridiculous is like that growth is unheard of. It's miraculous mm-hmm. growth. Yeah. So you have to maintain miracle growth mm-hmm. for 500 plus years. That's insane. Like in one year's time, that church would have gone from a church of 5,000 to over 100,000. That's how of a much of a miracle That's would crazy. be needed to reach, just to reach Houston. Yeah. But the thing is, is that God calls us to reach Houston. Mm-hmm. He's called, like for us, he's called us to go reach Galveston. Right. He's called pastors and, and leaders and, and, and Christians to go reach their, their cities. Mm-hmm. Right. That's not a like that's not a hy- hyper- hyperbole, right? right? That's an actual thing. Yeah. He wants us to reach these cities. That's why we're here and not just part. He wants the whole thing to be mm-hmm. reached. Yep. And so we asked ourselves, okay, <laughs> if a church is just going to grow by addition, what would it look like if a church of five people in the greater Houston region multiplied every year and launched another group of five? So one group of five after one year launched another group of five. And then after two years, those two groups of five launched two more groups. So now after two years, you have four groups of five, you have 20 people. Mm -hmm. And then after the third year, those four groups create four more groups and so on and so on and Mm -hmm. so on. You know, after, after like five years, you barely have like a hundred people. But we asked ourselves, what would it look like for this kind of multiplication to occur in the Houston region? How long would it take to reach the greater Houston region completely? And the answer that we found was 22 years. 22. Our lifetime. That seems a lot more doable. A lot more doable. Like, our lifetime. Mm -hmm. Like, you're 25? 24. 24? Yeah. So if we would have started this when you were born, the entire greater Houston region would have been reached at least already one time through. Mm. You know? What are you doing? You should have started when I was born. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I was young. Okay. (laughs) I know I'm 30, but, like, I was young when you were born. Um. But that, that's in our lifetime, 22 years, and the entire greater Houston region could be reached. And so the reality is that when it comes to kingdom expansion, God, it, God expects it to grow by multiplication. And honestly, there's no other way we can keep up, Mm-mm. right? Population growth is growing by multiplication. Mm-hmm. Like people are, are multiplying, right? Mm-hmm. Parents are having multiple kids who have multiple kids who have multiple kids, mm-hmm. you know? Population is multiplying. It is outrageous for us to think that simple programmatic addition to our churches will reach the people that we want to reach. Mm. And it's just not going to happen that way. And really, when you look at the Bible, God intends for multiplication to happen. Right. We read about it in the Great Commission, right? Mm. When, when Jesus says, go make disciples and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. And that teaching is the Great Commission, mm-hmm. right? That's multiplication right there. Right. But not only that, but like, you know, you go back to Genesis and God calls Adam and Eve to, to multiply. Um, we, we read about it in Noah after he gets off the ark to be fruitful and to multiply. Mm-hmm. We read it about it again um, in John 15 where it says, abide yeah. in me, you'll bear much fruit. Mm-hmm. Bearing fruit correlates to multiplication, mm-hmm. right? God ex- God's plan for kingdom advancement is not addition. Mm. It is multiplication. We were literally born to multiply Mm -hmm. and we are born again to multiply. Mm -hmm. We are made to multiply. And so to think that we can reach the cities that we so desperately desire to reach with simple programmatic addition is absolutely absurd. Mm -hmm. We'll never reach them. We have to think in terms of, of multiplication, and that takes every single person mm-hmm. multiplying, not just church leaders or anything like that. It takes 
every single person who calls himself a Christian mm-hmm. to be obedient to the Great Commission and to multiply their lives in other people. Right. So for the person listening who would call themselves a Christian, but maybe they feel like they don't know enough or the sense of the Great Commission being personal is just too big for them. Like that is very scary. Um, they don't want to feel responsible for someone else's eternity. Right. Um, what would you say to that person who's struggling with those doubts? I would say first, try to get yourself into a discipleship relationship. Mm -hmm. Disciples are made. Okay. Um, they are made by another disciple investing into that person. Okay. Um, and so first I would say, try to find someone who can act like a mentor figure to you and can disciple you personally so that you can see what it looks like to make disciples for other people. Oftentimes we don't take this step because we just don't know what to do. You know, like that was uh, a thing that we ran into last year in our college ministry was we, we, we put forth the concept of, of multiplication and disciple making and all of our student leaders were like, yes, sounds great. But we just didn't know what to do, you know? And yeah. so practically we were like, yeah, we're on board, but we have no clue yeah. what to do here. They were stressed. Yeah, very <laughs> stressed. And uh, and so now with like 242s and, and all that concept, we have, a, we have a better understanding of what it means to actually go multiply. So when we tell our students, hey, we want you to multiply yourself and others, what we're telling them is we want you to start a 242 that will multiply into other 242s. Like that's essentially what we're saying. We have... Right. We have a vehicle for them to make disciples with, and everyone needs a vehicle to do that, mm-hmm. okay? Um, and so for many people, they just don't know what that looks like. And so what I would say is your first step is to just be a learner. Mm-hmm. Learn what it looks like to make disciples, and the best way to learn is by getting a model. Mm-hmm. Have someone model that for you. Right. Um, and so if you have a mentor figure in your life um, or someone that could be a mentor figure in your life, man, I would just ask them, like, hey, could we meet regularly? And I want to learn how to make disciples, and I think you do yeah. that well. And so can you just teach me what that looks like? And honestly, that's a huge honor for someone to come to you yeah. and ask, like, hey, can you disciple me? No one is going to be, like, offended by that, or no one's going to be taken off guard by that if they're a solid, maturing Christian. That's yeah. a huge honor. Well, and yeah, and that's the thing is, like, you know, for many for many people, they just need to, to see what it looks like to make disciples. Because that term is just, it's used so much in church language that it's just is kind of void of meaning at this point. Right. Um, and so they need like, um, they just need an example. A tangible Yeah, example. a tangible actual example. You know, like, so for me, when I was in college, uh, my mentor was this guy named Josh, who um, uh, leads and is the executive director of Galveston Urban Ministries mm-hmm. here in Galveston. And he mentored me for almost my entire college career. And so... By the time it came for me to kind of step out and start leading and discipling others, I, I knew more or less what that looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew it meant l- doing life with people. I knew that it meant um, uh, meeting with people regularly, talking through different things regularly, you know. And so there were still things that I was, that I was still learning on what it looks like to actually make disciples. But I knew a lot of those basic things because I had him in my life to show me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I would say for the person that's like, you know, kind of still kind of confused about it, um, you know, definitely try to find someone who can model that for you and, and mm-hmm. lead that uh, for you and be a learner. Um, yeah. But be a learner, not just to be a learner, be a learner so that you can go be a doer. If right. all you do is jump into a mentorship relationship or a discipleship relationship and then never go out and 
disciple others, you missed it. Like mm-hmm. it's meant to multiply. Mm-hmm. So you, at some point you got to go, you know, but initiate those relationships so that you can learn to be sent. Right. Yeah. So you mentioned that you want to be in this discipleship relationship with the purpose of being sent. And right. that's kind of the next step. So someone's in a discipleship relationship, mm-hmm. right? And they are learning a lot. They're growing a lot. The next step is to be sent out. Mm-hmm. And what can that look like for people in their own context? Yeah, yeah. For us, um, that looks like you starting another 242. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, depending on your church's context, um, it might look different. You know, some some churches leverage uh, like D groups or mm-hmm. discipleship groups, or they have different names. Uh, we've heard of grow groups and all, all kinds of little groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and so f- for, depending on your context, it might look like starting something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but no matter what, it starts with really a, a few things from the from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing that I think it definitely starts with is a concept that we like to call praying wide. Mm-hmm. Um, and praying wide is essentially just asking the Lord, God, who is it that you're leading me to? Mm-hmm. Right. Again, we got to go small. Right. We don't right. want to go huge. We want to go small. And so we need to prioritize a few people in our life. That's not being selfish mm-hmm. and that's not showing favoritism. That's saying I'm prioritizing these people Mm -hmm. because I'm going to send these people so that they can make disciples and make disciples and make disciples. But Jesus did, and he was perfect, so it's not selfish. (laughs) Jesus prioritized people in in his life. We can do the same. It's going to be okay. Um, And so the first concept is this this just aspect of praying wide. Lord, who in my life are you giving me to invest in? Who are you leading me to? Mm -hmm. And make sure it's wide. Don't narrow in too early. You know, Mm -hmm. keep keep a wide scope. You know, cast a wide net. Mm-hmm. Um, God, who, who, who is this that you're leading me to? And then as names come into your mind, pray over those names, you know, and over the course of time, several weeks, several months, start narrowing down who those few people are going to be and then pick them mm-hmm. like just straight up, select them and prioritize them in your life. Like give them the key to your house. <laughs> if that's what that means. You know, I've heard of I have some college pastor friends from San Antonio and like literally when they disciple people, they give them a key to their house. And they said, we want to do life with you. And part of doing life with you is allowing you to come into my home pretty much whenever he's like, don't come in on Thursdays. That's date night or whatever. (laughs) But like, you know, other than that, you're, you're, you're here. And one of the ways that they, one of the ways that they symbolize that is saying, here's the key to my house. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's you awesome. know, <laughs> of just like, I'm, I'm, I am prioritizing you. I'm going to treat you like family. Right. Here's a key. Yeah. Um, and so literally pick them, mm-hmm. give them a key to your life. Give them a key mm-hmm. to your house. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, don't, I don't know if you want to give them the key to your car. All of a sudden your that car is gone. That might be terrifying. <laughs> my, my backfire real quick. <laughs> But like, you know, give them access into your life, select them and then invite them into your to your life. Do life with them. Um, and that's the, that's another big key is like to really make disciples. It's not just starting a Bible study. It's really doing life with people. Yeah. Um, when Jesus says go make disciples, that word go is that literal translation is more of an as you are going. Mm. So it's as you are going, make disciples. And that's what we see with Jesus. Right. Jesus was going to go to Capernaum. He was going to go to the mountain. He was going to go to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. He was already planning on going and doing all these things. Mm-hmm. He just took the disciples with them. Right. You know, we've said this with our college students before. But disciple making is not so much adding something to your schedule. It's more adding someone to your schedule. Mm -hmm. So you got to go to Walmart. Cool. Bring someone with you and make a disciple along the way. Mm -hmm. You need to go eat lunch. Awesome. 
everyone does. Invite someone to go eat lunch with you and make a disciple while you're there. It's so much more fun shopping with someone else or eating with someone yeah. else than by yourself. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you, you need to go, like for us, if you need to go off the island, take someone with you. Yeah. You know, some of the best discipleship conversations I've ever had is in a car. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily in a Bible study. It's right. in a car when someone's like, I need to ask you a question. They pour out their heart to me. Yeah. And so create those spaces. Those spaces are actually already there. Just get creative with them. Yeah. Um, be intentional so, with them. Yeah, be intentional with the time that you have. Like mm-hmm. you might think, oh, I don't have time to make disciples. It's like, well, do you have time to eat dinner? You have time to make the disciples. Yeah. Invite <laughs> them to dinner. Right. You know, maybe dinner goes an extra 30 minutes. That's okay, yeah. you know. Right. But just invite them to do dinner once mm-hmm. a week, you know, or multiple times or whatever, you know. Yeah. Just inv- But invite them into your life. Right. Um, that's just so incredibly huge mm-hmm. when it comes to multiplying and making disciples is just to invite them into your life. Yes, study the Bible. Yes, pray together, all that stuff, for sure, 100%. Um, do the, do the weekly Bible study a thousand times. Yes. Mm -hmm. But also make sure you don't forget to invite them into your life. That's a huge, huge thing. I also think that when you invite someone into your life, you are saying, I don't care, or I don't just care about how much knowledge you have about the Bible. I Mm -hmm. care about you as an individual, as a person. Yeah. Well, and like, and people need to see how we live, right? right? They not only need to have Bible knowledge about like what God says in his word, but they also need to see it lived out, mm-hmm. right? So when you invite them to your house for dinner, not only are you having an opportunity to, to personally in, di- like disciple them and invest in them, mm-hmm. but you are also creating a space so that they can see how you discipline your kids. Mm-hmm. They can see for me how you love your wife, mm-hmm. right? There's been, I can't tell you how many college students we've had come through our ministry that have told me and Christian, me and Christian, me and <laughs> Kristen, that have told me and Kristen how they have never seen a healthy marriage until they started hanging out with our family. Mm. That's huge. Yeah. Because they need to learn how to have a healthy Christian marriage if they're going to be Christian, mm-hmm. right? And if they plan on getting married, right? right? And so, when we invite them into our home, it's mm-hmm. not only a, hey, I want to have a conversation with you, but it's also, I want to show you how I love my wife. Right. I want to show you how um, a Christian household mm-hmm. looks, what, what it looks like. And no, right. we're not perfect. Right. It also shows you're, you're being vulnerable with this person. Yeah. It shows your shortcomings as well. It shows them that they do not have to be perfect yeah. to be a Christian and to make disciples. There, there have been times where I have failed as a parent in discipling my kids. Mm-hmm. And other people have been in the room and they see me apologize to my children. Mm. And like, they need to see that. Yeah. They need to see vulnerability and honesty and what it looks like to actually live the Christian life out. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is like the people that we disciple, they're going to learn a lot through the word of God. Absolutely. Every day Mm -hmm. we learned a ton through the lens of scripture, but also um, experience and seeing something modeled for you are great teachers. Yeah. And so it takes something that's very abstract, like have a Christian marriage. It's a very tangible, okay, I see what it looks like. Mm-hmm. I can see how you guys serve each other, how you guys love each other, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And so make sure that you invite them into your life because they need to see the Christian life modeled at the same time. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Well, this conversation has been really great, and I think it's going to be really helpful for people to know that the Great Commission isn't just for the professional Christians out there. There even is such a thing, um, but that it is for every single Christian in their everyday life. Um, and so 
do you have any other last minute thoughts that you would like to share with us? Yeah, I think, you know, just uh, just to reiterate, like, this is what we are called to as Christians, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, to be a disciple of Jesus is to make disciples. Okay, to be a disciple of Jesus and never make disciples or refuse to make disciples is an oxymoron. Yeah, it does not work. It doesn't fit. And so just want to encourage um, just these listeners that are listening to this that like, I don't know where you might be in your stage of discipleship, but let me just encourage you to continue or to start heading down a road towards disciple making. It is the life that God has called us to. We were made for this. Um, and at the same time, because God is leading us to it, it is the kind of life that will also be life-giving. Mm. And so it can be rocky at times. It can be messy at times. Disciple-making is messy because mm-hmm. you're getting in everyone's business. Vulnerability is all over the map. Mm-hmm. Like, it is a messy, messy thing. Mm-hmm. But it's what God calls us to. And because of that, it's what's going to give us uh, the abundance of life that Christ truly came to give. And so mm-hmm. follow in that obedience, mm-hmm. no matter what roadblocks come ahead, keep going, keep going, yeah. keep going. That's good. Thanks so much for joining us today, Chris. I really appreciate your insight into all of this. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Man, Chris is always so passionate when he speaks, and especially with this topic, because it's something that our ministry as a whole has been moving towards, and it's not an easy shift, but it is a necessary and completely worthwhile shift. And with that, we have successfully introduced this podcast over the past four episodes, starting by talking about why we're calling it Abide, and then further into each part of the podcast's mission. And what we have saw is this chain reaction where abiding in the Lord produces delight in the Lord. And the more that we delight in him, the more we're changed by him. And when we're transformed to look more like Christ, we will naturally be led to reproduce our faith in other people, which leads to multiplying disciples. Well, all the rest of this podcast, every single season will be dedicated to helping people delight more in the person of Christ, help explain biblical and theological topics that are just hard to understand. We'll be answering some common questions that people have and also just helping Christians be equipped for the work of the Great Commission. For the rest of this season, we're actually gonna be dissecting something that was mentioned very briefly in the very first podcast and that would be the Abide Bible Reading Method. This is something that Coastal College has come up with to help our people not only read the Bible, but find immense joy and delight in the person of Christ through Bible reading. So be sure to subscribe to the Abide podcast so that you don't miss a single week of unpacking what it looks like to abide.